From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. Welcome. I'm Ben Schachman. Thank you for joining us. We've got a lot to get to on today's show with four primary candidates to talk to. Yushanda Majet, Charles E. Evans, Steve Miller, and Charles Graham. They're all hoping that Democratic and unaffiliated voters, who can choose to weigh in on either Democratic or GOP primaries, will choose them to continue on to the general election and, of course, on to Washington, D.C. We'll have details on voting in the primary on the show page if you've got any questions, but for now, let's get to it. First up, my guest is Yushanda Majet. Yushanda, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. (laughs) So to start, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, to start off, I am happy to be a candidate for 7th Congressional District because I have such a love and care for the people. And I didn't just begin that love and care. It's been in my heart ever since a little girl. I always knew that I would be that speaker or that spokesperson for uh, society. I am a graduate from the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in Communications and a Master of Arts degree in teaching from Watson College of Education. So go Seahawks. <laughs> um, very proud to be in this election because I am a boots on the ground woman. I have worked in several sectors over 25 years for children. I am an educator myself and I understand the the purpose and behind having to advocate for educators because we're in that classroom with sometimes 20 or more kids. You have the responsibilities of having to have your own supplies. You have to have a budget, if you will, that may not be necessarily good for your budget in trying to pay your bills. So I, I'm advocating definitely for the educators and higher wages for all that we do, unless you're in the classroom, you really don't know. I also stand on the backs of the late Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson, and John Lewis for equal voting rights. Because I think it's very important that we as a society, and I am a minority woman, that we don't feel discriminated against from voting as if our votes don't matter. And this is this is what I'm hearing amongst the African-American culture and community, that they feel their votes don't matter because they've been trying to strip it from us. It, it happened decades ago, and here we are back at the same position again. So I am that woman that is definitely an advocate for equal vote, equal and fair voting rights. I am also an advocate for agriculture. I understand what it's like to grow our own food and be able to become more independent. My grandfather uh, had two big farms that I used to work on with him as a little girl hated it. <laughs> with a passion, but I, I, I was sweltering in the heat and he would say, you're gonna appreciate learning how to grow your own food one day. The supply may not be as lucrative as it is in the grocery store one day, and what are you going to do? And do you know to this day, I've already begun a program to where I have children going onto the farms. I've connected with two farmers and they're able to go on the, on the fields and be able to plant and grow their foods. And then I'm preparing now a transition program for those that have been incarcerated to be able to go to the fields or as a as a means of community service hours but they never come in contact with the children it's like when they when they come off the adults come in so there's a lot inside of me and what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do and what I'm eager to do because I have a passion for what I love can you say a little bit about what you would pursue in Congress to let's start with education yes you know 
to you know support our teachers the first thing that I would do is I believe we have like a trillion dollar budget getting ready to go out and the first thing that I would do is say please by all means make sure that educators and I would stand I mean because there are people that are for the uh, advancement of educators having fair equality rights being done to them so even I would even support and stand with it but if I don't see that if I if I were to be in Congress as an elect I would definitely promote uh, the need for us to be able to have a, a a fair budget, not just something like a little bonus here and a bonus there, because I, I'm an educator, so I can talk real talk here, okay, Ben? Not a little bonus here over there, Oh, I'm going to give them a little incentive. I'm talking about if that bonus is $900 or $1,000, let that be what is a part of that paycheck ongoing because of all the responsibilities and you have staff meetings and all that. So I would definitely advocate that if you want to save your teachers, 25% of our teachers have left the profession because of being treated unfairly or feeling like they're not worthy I I would definitely advocate that we're able to keep be able to bring our teachers back into the fold number one by giving them the type of incentives that they deserve and the equal pay that they deserve to sustain them in the field and not lose them because they are overworked overburdened overstressed and don't have any money at all to really make it and having to take on two jobs and I can say that because I am an educator and I also have a second job job and I'm a professional one with all of my degrees I still have to have a second job to make ends meet so I would definitely see if I can implement a bill or pass a policy that would be able to uh, retrieve our teachers back and then be able to give them the fair wages that they deserve on top of bonuses. As, as far as supporting agriculture and farming, that's a huge part of southeastern North Carolina. Yes, it is. What can Congress do to help farmers in our region? Well, I think the, the first thing that we need to do is not be afraid to go and talk to them and hear their heart. And that's what I'm doing. Like in this this part of 7th District and around, I have been, I've been out there. I've met different farmers. And I, I can be honest with you and let you know that they're saying nobody wants to hear what we have to say. Nobody cares that we're not able to sustain our families because if I... I were to go to Congress, the thing that I would like to do, same thing with education, take some of that money that's that's being put out there to be able to sustain the farmers that when they are not able to have uh ongoing income that they can still do what they love to do for us because if it was not for them we could not go to the grocery stores and get a bell pepper so why do we put them at the bottom of the bot of the totem pole so my my whole goal is to be able to advocate for them and being able to say let's go to their developments let's go to where they are in these rural areas talk to them hear what their concerns are not just pass it by and overlook it that's that's how I would advocate for them. And I'm doing my best even before I get there. <laughs> so what do you bring to the primary election that you think resonates with voters in uh, the 7th District? I think what resonates and what I have been getting in each convention, every setting that I've been in, Ben, is that people want someone who is already boots on the ground. I bring to the table, I'm an author of a new book entitled Love Me, Don't Hurt Me, a stand for a bully, a, I'm sorry, Love Me, Don't Hurt Me, a stand for school safety, no bullying, no violence. And I'm already boots on the ground dealing with school safety initiatives. That's a very important piece that, that even le legislators are dealing with right now, trying to find solutions. I've already been asked to come in and share some of my ideas and visions since I'm already boots on the ground doing this. I have this book out that is to be able to help these schools. I also am a woman that is dealing with the homeless 
every Wednesday and Friday at my church. I'm on the board of Push Positive Unity Serving Humanity, whereas we are we are able to help provide medical treatments, help them with affordable housing. We're able to help them with showers, being able to help them get off, get from off the streets and into a suitable environment. So I'm not waiting until I get there, Ben. I'm already doing this. We feed them every Wednesday and Friday, 1 to 3, 3 to 5. We have Vigilant of Hope on the premises to give them clean showers every week. Everything that I'm saying and everything that I've ever said on all of my platforms is people are looking for people that are already actively doing it. You can say what you're going to do when you get there, but if no one sees the labor that has taken place, you got to have the you have to plant the seeds in the ground first. So uh, people are able to see my seeds being planted and seeing that when I get there, they can believe it because I'm already doing it on this level. Last question before I let you go, because I know you have a lot on your plate. Yes. If you are the, the victor in, yes. the, in the primary election, you move on to the general election against David Rouser, who mm-hmm. is... Uh, incumbent has won uh, the last couple of races handily, is well-funded. What is your strategy for taking on an entrenched uh, candidate like that? My strategy is to continue to promoting the message that I've been doing for 25 years. And I think that that the message of hope, the message of love, the the message of being visible, because I can be honest with you, I've asked people, do they know who they who he is? And people say, I don't even know him. I've never seen him. I am a face that people can can relate to. I am in the public. I am working on the grounds. And I feel that to what's most important is that people would know who I am and what I'm doing and not saying I've heard of him or no, I've never heard of him. I, I don't know who she is, but they can actually say I do know her and I've seen her work. And uh, I know that he has been incumbent for a while. And so my strategy is to continue to build up all the things that are needed that that are pertinent to the concerns and cares of the people, because those are the people that are investing in my campaign, because those that I am actually reaching and those that I am showing my concerns to. And so I feel that the best way to handle this campaign is to continue doing what I've always been doing and to allow people to make their wise choices by seeing someone that they can relate to and that is tent that's touch I mean I'm within reach <laughs> so I think that that's what I've been getting the great responses from is that I am in reach and I am willing to work hard they see the work and my resume speaks for itself so if I am to challenge him in the general election those would be the things that I can do that I can say that is very strong because I'm actively doing it we have a lot of unaffiliated voters yes, in our do. region, uh, and they can actually weigh in on the in the primary election, and of course they'll vote in the general election. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see how your campaign points would resonate strongly with Democratic voters. But what do you have to offer unaffiliated voters? Well, the unaffiliated voters still have the same concerns. They're just unaffiliated voters. So I feel that uh, for the unaffiliated voters is to continue to spread my love in every in every direction because I mean, we, we there are so many issues that we have to deal with. We have to deal with their opioid, opioid uh, issues going on. Uh, there are so many issues that we can't do within this radio interview, but I have a plethora of things such as veterans' rights. Uh, there are also veterans that are unaffiliated voters. So I will be addressing my grandfather was in World War II. He fought in World War II. So I have major respect for our veterans and being able to fight for veterans affairs and medical issues and all of that. That it's nothing that that I'm afraid to do, whether you're unaffiliated, affiliated, liberal. I'm here for it for all. And I would love to conclude this um, with, with a poem that I've written about to, to bring it all to a, a central focus, if you would allow me. Go for it. All right. It's entitled Now is the Time to Work Together. That is my slogan. 
Life can be seen as an empty shell, knocking on the door and no one is there. Looking through a window, does anyone care about my voting rights, housing rights, wages that are fair? Someone give me hope, a candidate that cares about the concerns of the people and not personal affairs. Now come a little closer and tell me what you see. People working together in love and unity. We've climbed up many mountains and we've made it through stormy weather. Now is the time to work together. I say now is the time to work together. I say now is the time to work together. Your candidate for Congress, Yushanda Majette. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. <laughs> You're so, welcome. Well, Yushanda Majette is a candidate in the Democratic primary for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure being here today. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to pause here for a quick break, but we'll be back with candidate Charles E. Evans in just a minute. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schockman. We're talking with candidates for the Democratic primary for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. Up now, Charles Evans. Charles, thanks for being with us. Uh, Thank you for having me. So the first thing I want to do is give the people a sense of who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I'm uh, like most people probably would say, I'm just this little country boy. (laughs) But I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina, the county of Cumberland where I currently serve as a Cumberland County Commissioner, and I have been the Cumberland County Commissioner at large for the past 12 years. And when I say at large, it means that I run countywide. There's two representatives that run countywide, and I'm one of those representatives. And um, out of the 12 years that I've served the three terms, which equates to three terms, um, I have been the top vote getter each time in Cumberland County, which I'm very pleased that the citizenry there believed in me enough to, to allow me to be, to hold that position. And um, I, prior to that, I served on the Fayetteville City Council for two terms, which is four years. And so um, I do realize that whenever you serve two-year terms, that you have to hit the ground running in order to uh, achieve the things that need to be achieved. To, so citizenry would know that you're working for their best interests. And um, before that, I served on a number of boards, the hospital board, the ABC board, um, the Department of Social Services, the Cumberland County Crown, uh, Coliseum Commission. Uh, it's, it's been a number of boards. I'm a member of the NAACP, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I'm also a member of Second Missionary Baptist Church there in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so um, it, it, I, I've just been busy as far as service is concerned. I'm a veteran, disabled veteran. I was stationed right there at Fort Bragg. My father was very happy. When I went into the military, he thought I was going to be sent somewhere way overseas. But when he found out I was at Fort Bragg, my mother was delighted, but my father was not. <laughs> so uh, so um, service for me have been fantastic. So there are four candidates in this primary election. Um, I've spoken with all of them, all good people, but you know, different approaches to this election. 
What sort of sets you apart from some of the other primary candidates? My work ethic. It's nice to serve. Matter of fact, I consider it a, a badge of honor to serve in any capacity that's going to help my brothers and sisters be the best that they possibly can be. And truthfulness to these individuals that I ask to vote for me for this particular race as congressman of the 7th Congressional District. The citizens that I serve have to understand, and I would like for them to understand, that my interest in you is the very best that it could possibly be, and that I'm here for you 24-7. You may not be able to talk to me 24-7, but during the course, you will have access to me because that's the only way that I know to work is to make sure that I'm doing what the citizens that I serve want me to do or would like for me to do. And so it's important to have that relationship of trust and honesty with those people that I ask to vote for me. And so that goes right back to my work ethic. Um, Wilmington, I love Wilmington. I've been here uh, for a little while now, back and forth from Cumberland County. We have seven um, counties in this particular race for the seventh congressional district. And I love every county that I've been in, but I'm, I'm a little close to Cumberland and the New Hanover right now. But, um, but yes, I, I want the citizens to believe in me and what I do and what I represent and that will be representation of them. One of the things we've been asking candidates is about unaffiliated voters who can weigh in on the primary election and will make a big impact on the general election. Uh, is there anything in particular you think you have to offer to people who maybe haven't decided on a party affiliation or don't have one? The same thing that I have to offer everybody else. They are voters. They are citizens that are looking for good representation. There are citizens that need someone that will be their voice, that will be their advocate, that will be the person that they can contact when they have concerns or issues that need to be addressed. So I would handle each and every citizen that I represent the same way. After the primary election, let's assume that you are successful. Oh, that would be a great assumption. <laughs> <laughs> It would then be on to the general election where I think uh, the, the most of the bets would be on David Rouser winning the GOP primary. So he'd be facing off against an uh, incumbent candidate with a considerable war chest and a lot of support in the 7th District. What would be your plan for taking on uh, Rouser in the general election? Building relationships with the constituency. As I said earlier, making sure that they believe me that they trust me and that they can depend on me to do the job that they would like for me to do. Um, show up. Just show up. Show up and be that person. Show up, get the information, get the message from them that they want to give to you about working for them and what they think is right for their respective communities. So, I, so I'm going to be the show up man. I'm going to be the show up candidate, the show up congressperson. But not only am I going to show up, I'm also going to be the one to make it right. I'm going to work very hard for my citizens. And that may sound a little possessive when I say mine, but at that time, 
as their congressmen. They will be my rep my citizens, and I'm going to make sure that my citizens are taken care of. In Washington, D.C., what are some of the policies you would pursue to take care of your citizens, as you put it? You know, all citizens has to be taken care of. And so we also know that we have issues such as the Voting Rights Act, women's rights, health and human services issues. Uh, we have to make sure that mental health is dealt with. That's something that's been overlooked for a while. We have to make sure that homeless individuals are taken care of. I had the opportunity to meet a number of, a number of homeless veterans, uh, homeless individuals that just could not find their way. It just needed a hand up. Um, those individuals, as far as education is concerned, we have to make sure that our students, and I'm a product of public education, that our students get the funding um, as well as teachers. And not only teachers, but also those that do the heavy lifting, our cafeteria workers, our maintenance workers, our bus drivers, our AP people, uh, make sure that they get the funding that they need to make sure that it work out for the betterment of the children that we trust them with every day. And so um, it's a number of, uh, of people um, that we have to take care of and make sure that they are addressed with the issues that they may have. Anything else you would want Listeners in our region, you can cover Southeastern North Carolina, to know about you and to, and to bear in mind when, whether they're filling out early voting in the next couple of weeks or going to the actual ballot on May 17th, what would you like them to keep in mind? Well, I would like for them to keep in mind that I am a person that is very inclusive. Uh, if you don't uh, mind me allowing this story here. Um, Please. In Cumberland County, and I realize across our country, there are a number of individuals that have made missteps in life. And a lot of times those missteps prevent those individuals from living a productive life that each of us would like to see each of us live. And it prevents them from getting housing, an education, um, employment opportunities, or anything that would better themselves. And um, so with my district attorney in Cumberland County, Billy West. I had the opportunity to present to him an opportunity that I was hoping that he would take, and that's to have an expungement clinic there in Cumberland County for individuals that have made those missteps and, and, um, and needed some help. And, and so what happened was we formed an expungement clinic for individuals, not violent crimes, but for those drug offenses and things of breaking and entering and things like that, that um, prevented people from moving forward. And to this day, we have over 1,500 people that have had their records cleared and living that lifestyle. And the reason I said that is because not only am I concerned about those individuals that are doing a fabulous job living life, but those other individuals, the homeless individuals, the ones that's dealing with substance abuse, those individuals, I would like to see them live a decent life as well, a better life than whatever they're going through with now. And so that's the way I work. I work for the betterment of all. All right, well, Charles Evans, candidate for the Democratic primary for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
Okay. Well, we need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll be talking to candidate Steve Miller. You're listening to The Newsroom from WHQR. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. And with me now is Steve Miller, candidate for the Democratic primary for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. Steve, thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure, Ben. So I want to give listeners a sense of who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I'm going to – well, I'm probably not going to start with my birth, but I will tell you where I was born. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, I'm a Yankee. when I was 16, I went off to Boston University, got a degree in chemistry. Then I went off to Georgetown University in DC and got a PhD in physical chemistry. Um, really, in an unplanned way, my first real job was with the United States Environmental Protection Agency when it was brand new. Uh, I was most fortunate fellow when I got to work there because there was a huge organization chart and nobody to fill it. So even though as young and junior as I was, I became the chief advisor on automobile emission control to the head of the EPA, Bill Ruckelshaus. Uh, He sent me as a 26-year-old kid with, uh, sometimes I say, more hair than brains. He sent me off to meet with the chief executive officer and other executives at General Motors to talk about the technology that they were developing. And as they told me that there was no way they could meet these automobile emission standards, I concluded that they could meet them. And ultimately, they were required to meet them. And they did, starting in the 1975 model year. And we also started getting lead out of gasoline. After two years at the EPA, I decided I'd reached Everest, so to speak, uh, in, in my public service. And I started my own consulting business. Uh, ultimately, the companies that made catalytic converters hired me. Uh, to be an expert witness at Congress on their behalf, write white papers, and and so on. Uh, After a little while, one of my clients came to me and said, Steve, we'd like you to be the deputy in our uh, corporate government relations office. I took on that position, eventually uh, becoming the director of that office. So I had an awful lot of experience dealing with uh, the Defense Department, the Commerce Department, a number of executive agencies, as well as many um, of the uh, congressional committees. On occasion, maybe 10 or 15 times, I was asked to uh, be an expert witness um, on energy and environmental issues before many congressional committees. And to finish this up, uh, I then uh, went on to become an entrepreneur. I co-founded two uh, technology companies, one in biometrics and the other one in an area called RFID. We solved an enormously difficult uh, logistics problem for the U.S. military. I retired in 2002, and that's 20 years ago. I moved to Wilmington here eight years ago, and uh, that's it. All right. So you are one of four candidates in the primary uh, for the Democrats. What sets you apart from some of the other challengers, and you know what should interest both Democratic voters and unaffiliated voters who can both weigh in on this primary? Well, I, I would say the, the first thing is my depth of knowledge about the critical issues that we face. And um, let me talk about the critical issues in my opinion. Uh, the existential issue for the planet is climate change. 
Uh, and the two primary greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide and, and methane, uh, one comes from combustion, the other one comes from, and please don't laugh when, when I say this, it comes from cows, believe it or not. Um, although there's some technological solutions coming with the, in, in regard to reducing methane emissions from cows, there's some breeding activities going on. Uh, but the solution, the solution is not drilling. And I want to take a minute to talk about the oil dependency that we continue to have. There are many people, mostly Republicans, who seem to think that we can drill our way, drill our way out of our dependence on oil and continue to use fossil fuels for combustion. We can't. The planet can't bear it. Our economy can't bear it. And our national security can't bear it. And I'm going to tell you why. We import 7.8 million barrels of oil daily. We can drill and drill and drill. When I hear the Republicans say, well, what about the Keystone Pipeline? The first thing I remind them is the Keystone Pipeline does not produce one drop of oil. It just moves it from point A to point B. Then I hear them talk about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Well, let me tell you, it would take 10 or 11 years for the first drop of oil to come from there if, if they were permit, if any oil company was permitted to, uh, to drill. And in addition, it would produce about 900,000 barrels per day for about 15 years. That's not going to make a dent in our 7.8 million barrels. So climate change, and now we'll talk about the solution, which is renewable energy. Wind energy, solar energy comes in at three to five cents per kilowatt hour. That's about half the price of a gas turbine engine today. I have a really, really good understanding of these issues, which I believe some of the other candidates do not. And then, of course, I've been preaching about electric vehicles for 50 years now, and finally their time has come because we have gotten rid of lead-acid batteries and we have lithium-ion batteries. So I think that's the number one issue. The other thing is I'm, I'm probably the candidate with the longest-term commitment for LGBTQ issues as well as a woman's right to choose. I think if you look at everybody else's record and you look at mine going back many, many, many decades, I'm the guy who's going to support those issues. All right. So following the primary election, if you are successful, you move on to the general election. I think even though there is a primary on the GOP side, uh, most betting money would be on David Rouser winning that. So in the general election against David Rouser with deep pockets, a considerable war chest, and a lot of support, especially in the agricultural part of this district. What is your battle plan for the general election? Well, let's talk about what the numbers currently tell us about registrations. Um, before the redistricting, the 7th Congressional District was probably a Republican plus 12. Now it's perhaps a Republican plus 8 or 10. One-third of the district is registered unaffiliated, even though the Democratic and the Republican registrations are fairly similar. They're both in the 31, 32 percent uh, category. The unaffiliateds are really not independent, probably a very small fraction of that one-third or so of the electorate that's unaffiliated are truly swing voters. So you can win them over with good messages, but you really can't count on that. So there is exactly one, one route to victory for me, for any Democrat, and that is turnout. And the only way you're going to get turnout is to build up a certain level of enthusiasm. You've got to make the voters want you. 
How do you make the voters want you? You give them messages that they can relate to. And I have developed messages that seem to resonate with all sorts of voters, even those that lean a little bit conservative. You've got to be a personable individual who's willing to go everywhere, talk to everyone, condescend to no one. You just got to be authentic, and that's what I'm attempting to do. Now, let's go back to 2018. It was the last uh, uh, midterm election when Kyle Horton ran. She lost by 10 to 12 points, 12 points actually, but if you take out the third-party candidate, assume the votes would have gone to her, she lost by 10 votes. Uh, I'm sorry, 10 percent. Um, 50 percent uh, Democrat turnout, 50 percent Republican turnout, and she lost by 10 points. So we got to get up to 60 percent Democratic turnout and hope that the Republicans remain at 50. That's it. It's turnout, turnout, and turnout. Gotcha. So another, another flash forward in time. Um, if you are victorious in the general election and you're now in D.C., you are, I believe you said, the, uh, the second oldest freshman congressman. In the history of America. And proudly so. And proudly so. What are the issues that you would want to tackle? Well, the first thing you got to decide is, is uh, where do you want to try to be relevant? And you can't be relevant if you're not on a relevant committee. Uh, I think that's because I lived in D.C. for 45 years. I understand Congress. I understand the committee structure. So I have decided that the committee I could be on or would want to be on would be Energy and Commerce. Energy and Commerce has jurisdiction over the renewable energy funding. It's got jurisdiction over the Environmental Protection Agency. And one of the issues I didn't mention that's huge for this district is the PFAS problem. That's Poly, uh, uh, polyfluoro and perfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, uh, that I think the most famous or infamous company that puts them out is Camours, but there are plenty of others. There are 8,000 different compounds in this, in this category. Uh, the Department of um, Environmental Quality at the state level has a permit process. They've exactly got, got one tool to be able to limit the, uh, the emissions of these substances, and it's the so-called NPDES permit. Uh, they have not done a great job limiting the emissions uh, of these into the air and into the water. So the EPA, on the other hand, has four monumentally powerful hammers. They've got the Clean Water Act, the Safe Drinking Water Act, the Toxic Substances Control Act, and the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act. And they have 15 working groups right now working on regulation of PFAS chemicals, having the oversight authority by virtue of being on energy and commerce, I will push them ever harder and ever faster to regulate those chemicals. Are there any other issues aside from that very important one that you would want to look at as a congressman? Well, well, sure, uh, but th there's issues that you care about and issues that you can do something about. I mean, clearly, the existential issue for our democracy is voting rights. Now, every candidate, every Democratic candidate is going to talk about that. Now, there, there are two pieces of legislation that have already passed passed the House of Representatives, and they are the John Lewis um, Voting Rights Act, which would essentially uh, put back into play the preclearance provisions of the 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act that were taken away by the Supreme Court a few years ago. Uh, but the perhaps in some ways more important provision is or law would be the Freedom to Vote Act, which would roll back so many of the insidious 
um, activities and, and laws that have been passed in states like Georgia and Florida and, and Arizona. Now, the House can pass that, but it goes to the Senate. And because they can't, the, the Democrats there can't break the filibuster because Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have no interest in breaking the filibuster, it's a problem. That doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to be talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. But I won't be on judiciary, that, that's for sure. And I, I'm pretty sure that's where uh, Voting Rights Act is, is going to uh, emanate from. Uh, a couple of other things that I think are doable. Uh, one of the, the issues that I've been paying an awful lot of attention to is decriminalization of marijuana at the federal level. Now, that will not legalize marijuana in the state of North Carolina. That is a state prerogative. What it will do, however, is in states where marijuana is legal, it will allow veterans to go to their VA hospital or clinic and be able to get a paid for a free prescription for a cannabis product instead of being given prescriptions or given free um, oxycodone and, and other opiates that, that tend to addict them. In addition to which, for the legal businesses in states where uh, marijuana is legal, and by the way, it's 36 states for medical and about 16 states right now for recreational, they run solely on cash on, on a cash uh, uh, pro forma kind of business. The reason for that is that no bank will do business because the feds can crack down on them. They can't use people can't use credit cards because the feds will crack down on them. So what happens is you have a cash business which makes these businesses ripe for money laundering robbery and tax evasion. We can put an end to that and probably save the Treasury billions and billions of dollars in, in unpaid uh, taxes. So decriminalization of marijuana may sound like a ha-ha, fun thing, but it's, it's for real. It's a serious issue. And I think there could be bipartisan support for that because the approval rating in the country for that is uh, somewhere along the lines of 70 percent. All right. Well, Steve Miller, I know you're not a soundbite guy, but 30 seconds to a minute left. What should people have in their mind when they're going to the ballot, either if, if they're doing the, uh, the mail-in over the next you know, couple of weeks or if they're actually going to the, the polls on May 17th? What do you want in their heads when they're looking at their options? I, I want them to understand that there's a, a very well-informed fellow with an awful lot of experience and expertise in the issues that are important to North Carolina. And I want them also to know that I think I'm about as transparent and authentic a candidate as they're ever going to find. If you ask me a question on social media, I will answer it. In any event, let me finish with my slogan, tell you that we want to make David Rouser's time in office very brief because it's Miller time. Well, Steve Miller, Democratic candidate for the North Carolina 7th Congressional District primary, thank you so much for your time. Ben, thank you for, uh, for the great interview. All right. Well, we need to take another quick break, but when we come back, we'll be talking with Charles Graham candidate for the Democratic primary for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman, and with me now is Charles Graham, candidate for the Democratic primary for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District. Charles, thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. So we're, we want listeners to get a sense of who you are. So tell us a little about yourself. I am State Representative Charles Graham. I've had the pleasure to serve in the North Carolina 
General Assembly and the House for the past six terms, 12 years of service to the citizens of the state of North Carolina. And uh, I'm also an educator, once an educator, always an educator, and I'm retired, of course. And I'm a small business owner here in Lumberton. I've had my business here working in the community for the past uh, 20 years, 22 years to be to be exact. Now, you're one of four primary candidates for the Democratic Party who, who hopes to make it through the general election in November. What do you bring to Democratic voters and unaffiliated voters who might be interested in this primary? I think the voters, uh, Democratic voters and independent voters, are looking for someone who obviously can uh, defeat the incumbent, David Rouser. My experience over the years has demonstrated that I am a person uh, that can work in a a bipartisan way, working with Republicans in the General Assembly and trying to form a consensus on things that's best for our citizens, not just in my county, but at the end of the day, the state of North Carolina. I bring those experiences to the table. Uh, I would be glad to and debate David Rouser on my experiences, my votes that have protected our educational systems, public education, has protected the environment and protected uh, working class citizens and been an advocate for retirees, our senior citizens. And of course, the incumbent has voted against things that are very important to this district. And one, of course, is our environment, our drinking water, our groundwater. Uh, broadband for our children. He's voted against that with the infrastructure bill. And I think I think our folks in the 7th Congressional District want a representative who will be a representative, not be a partisan, looking at the partisan ideology of his party and putting that first over the uh, citizens of the district. So that's that's what I will bring to the table. And I think that's what the citizens are looking for when you talk about true representation. Do you have a battle plan to take on Rouser? Because as as you well know, he is well entrenched. He's well funded. He has handily won, except in the Wilmington area, his his elections the last couple of times. W- what is the plan for taking on the current congressman? Well, let me just say this, and I'm not uh, I'm not being disrespectful for any candidate who's ran against David Rouser in the past. I'm the most experienced candidate coming to uh, a congressional. Uh, battleground that David Rouser has ever had to deal with. And one of the big things about this is fundraising. And I've had a national campaign that's been able to raise and generate funds all over the country. Uh, I believe that my campaign and my uh, candidacy will be one of the very best that has ever confronted David Rouser. And I think I'll be able to appeal to independents and Democrats in a very strong way, something that I think is needed to beat him. And I think, and I'll be very honest with you, and I'll be very frank with you, Democrats have been swayed to accept these conservative views and uh, vote Republican. I think I'll be able to present myself in a way that will entice them and demonstrate, I will be able to demonstrate to them that I will be a representative that's going to meet their needs and address those core value issues uh, that they're concerned with. Of course, we know what inflation is doing now. We know what the state of affordable housing is. We know what the issues are as it relates to health care, which all those things I've worked for in in the House, and I'll be able to uh, challenge him on those issues. I want to ask if you are successful in the Democratic primary and win 
in the general election in November and head to D.C. What are some of the policies that you would pursue? Well, first of all, let me say when I go to D.C., I'll, I'll be going to D.C. as a, uh, an experienced legislator. And I will be able to talk to the leadership. I'll be able to speak to the members in the Democratic caucus about my views and things that I value. And I won't be someone that will be going into Washington trying to seek experience. I have experience. I have knowledge. I know what the issues are. Number one, I'm hearing this all over the district, affordable housing. That is very key. We're having folks who are living situations that's uh, doubling up with their family, uh, doubling up with their friends, living in uh, substandard housing. That is going to be a priority for me. Number two is bringing people out of poverty. And the way we do that is we increase the minimum wage, $15 an hour. We give our, give our, our folks who are working hard an opportunity to make a living wage. We have to do that. That will bring people out of poverty. Number three is I will be an advocate for environmental issues. We are in a, uh, will be, and we're entering, uh, a critical phase with our environment, we need to, and I will support zero emissions by 2050. I would also push a strong plan utilizing uh, a solar energy, wind energy. Now I'm okay uh, with, you know, drilling until we can get to zero emissions. And we have to do that very carefully. I am not in favor of drilling on in our state parks. I'm not in favor of drilling on our tribal grounds, our tribal communities, we have to protect our state parks and those sacred communities uh, as we do explore opportunities for oil. And but but I think we need to gradually go to net zero emissions over time. So those things that I would take to Washington. Absolutely. Are there any other issues, you know, specific to southeastern North Carolina that you think you could make headway on in D.C.? Well, there's, there's a, you know, we have to work in a bipartisan way. I think, I think that's what people, when you see the finger pointing and uh, partisanship in Washington, I think for the most part, everyone in the seventh congressional district sick and tired of the finger pointing that we're seeing um, in our nation's capital. I would bring an attitude to Washington, uh, one of being uh, a person who's willing to listen to listen to any reasonable legislation uh, that's that's put forth uh, that will support our communities. And I will say this, and it's a very, I think it's very significant and very telling. We can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. If we're looking for perfection, we will not find that in legislation. There's good and bad in any legislation. And we have to look at, um, you know, is this legislation good legislation for the majority, for the masses, for the people who are needing um, good legislation presented and, and, and uh, moved from the House to the congressional uh, to the Senate and then to the, the president's desk. So my uh, uh, representation would be going 
with an attitude and a mindset that uh, I have the experience, I have legislated, I have uh, been on the legislation side of our democracy, uh, helping write and craft legislation. So I will take my experience to Washington to support uh, those things that our, our citizens want us to go up and do, as opposed to the finger pointing uh, that, that we see often in the media. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, sir. Charles Graham, candidate in the Democratic primary for North Carolina 7th Congressional District. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, that's just about all the time we have for this edition of the Newsroom. And just a quick reminder here, One Stop Voting starts next week on Thursday, April 28th, and primary election day is Tuesday, May 17th. We'll have all the voting information you need on the show page. Thanks to our guests, Yushanda Majet, Charles Evans, Steve Miller, and Charles Graham. And of course, our technical team, Ken Campbell and Jonathan Furnell. If you missed any part of this program, you can find it at whqr.org, or you can find it as a podcast, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program, or ideas for a future show, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom.